the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be the great, he will be great, and will be called the Son of Man Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will, be, will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And now Mary's song of jubilation. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One who has done great things for me, holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Good morning friends, we haven't met, uh, my name is James Lewis, I'm one of the uh, senior assistant ministers here and um, we're starting a new series today, uh, Songs for the Saviour. Um, before we do that I just want to give you a bit of an update uh, on our family. Uh, as many of you know about six weeks ago my wife Jane was diagnosed with breast cancer um, and she's had surgery and the prognosis for treatment and cure is really positive. Um, but she's about to start six months of fairly intensive chemo, um, which as you expect, she's not looking forward to. Um, so we'd love for your prayers for that as she responds to that. Um, and uh, also to let you know, uh, you probably won't see a lot of her during that time because her immune system will be basically non-existent um, because of the treatment, and so she needs to be really careful about that. Um, I also wanted to say uh, just how thankful to God we are for how he has blessed us, our family, through you guys over the last six weeks. 
Um, we've just been overwhelmed with the care and love and support that you guys have shown us in so many different ways, from our prayers, from cards and flowers and emails, uh, from offers of, to do whatever needs to be done whenever, call any time, people say, um, to the meals. Uh, we feel like we've been on a culinary tour of Norwest over the last six weeks as you guys have provided in different ways. So we know that um, so many of you have been praying and the kind words that you've shared with me when I've been here on a Sunday have been uh, really encouraging as well. So um, we have really felt the love and comfort of God poured out through his people over the last six weeks. And so we're very thankful for that. Um, I'd love for you to pray with me now as well. Father God, we... We know in theory that our lives are fragile and that uh, our lives hang by a thread. And yet there are times when that comes home uh, to roost, comes home and so clear to us so powerfully uh, when life gets turned upside down. And we really grasp that each moment, each day is a gift. So we want to thank you for the gift of this day and this time in your word. We ask that you would use it mightily, um, that we would learn again and more deeply what it is to rejoice in you, our rock and our saviour. pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of uh, someone you know, friend, family member, work colleague, gets into a new thing and they're really excited about it, all energetic about it, and you're kind of happy for them, but it feels like a little too much. Um, I often see this on Facebook. So one of my uh, Facebook friends uh, really got into coffee and discovering new cafes. And so every week he would post this picture on his feed of, um, a, of a perfect cup of coffee with beautiful coffee art sitting in this kind of idyllic cafe. And then there'll be a whole string of hashtags, you know, um, hashtag early morning coffee, hashtag it was worth the drive, hashtag I think I'm in love with my barista. And, and on and on it would go like, you know, just stream of these hashtags just felt a little too much. Coffee, right? <laughs> um, another friend of mine got into those uh, the health plan, nutrition drinks that some people get into, uh, and it seemed to be really good for her health. But what happened was all her Facebook updates then became uh, promotions for this product and, and advertisements for the, the events that they were running, and, and it felt like too much. Uh, I don't know if, you, if you've ever had a family member, a friend, kind of really get into a fitness bug. You know, they, suddenly they're telling you all about the Ks that they, they're running and cycling and all the gear that they've got. And, and then they want you to come out with them. You know, like, come for a run. Just got to go once and you'll you really love it. And come for a ride. It will change your life, you know. And, and, and you're happy for them. But it feels just a little too much. One of those times when you're happy for them and the pleasure that they're getting, but it just feels a little over the top, a little unrealistic. And we could feel that way about Mary's song here in Luke 1, couldn't we? I mean, look at how she starts her song. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Doesn't that sound a little bit otherworldly, a bit unrealistic? I mean, who, who writes like that? Who prays like that, sings like that? Oh, of course, it's Mary, isn't it? She's the mother of Jesus. She's a different class to us. Mary actually went on a bit of a journey to get to this point. Uh, it wasn't like she, she woke up one morning and opened the shutters and went, Oh, beautiful day. My soul glorifies. You know, it, it wasn't like that happened for her one morning. No, she went on a journey to get there. And today in Luke 1, we're going to follow that journey with Mary. 
And my hope and prayer for, for each of us in our own way, that we will go on that journey with Mary, so that for each of us in our own way, in the own place that we're in life, we will get to a point where we can say, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So let's start the journey. The journey begins uh, about 400 years after the Old Testament finished. And if you've read a bit of the Old Testament, you know the Old Testament finished uh, with these wonderful promises from God. God promised that to his people that he would come and he would rescue them. And, and that would be through him sending a, a king like King David. But that king would be even greater than King David because he would have a kingdom that would last forever. A kingdom of righteousness and peace and goodness that would go on and on and on. Wonderful, powerful promises from God. That's how the Old Testament finished. And then there was... Silence from God. 400 years of silence. Something like eight generations came and went and there was silence from God. And yes, they did get a king, but it was King Herod, who was a puppet of the Roman Empire and a paranoid psychopath. He used to send out spies into the streets to listen in on people's conversations to see if they were talking against him. He had his wife and some of his kids murdered because he thought they might be planning to overthrow him. He was a paranoid psychopath. Israel had these wallet full of promises from God, but it felt very much like they were carrying around monopoly money. Worthless. And then, Luke chapter 1, as Luke begins his biography of Jesus, we read of how the famine ends, the drought breaks. God cuts through this silence with an orchestra of grace and mercy. God speaks through an angel to an elderly, childless couple, Elizabeth and Zechariah never been able to have a child of their own. He says, you will have a son, John, and he will announce the coming of God's king, God's son. And then as Chris read for us before in verse 26, the angel Gabriel goes to Mary and tells her that she'll give birth to this king, Jesus, the son of God. Now it's how Mary responds to that news, how Mary takes those first steps on the journey to joy that is so helpful. Because we often wonder, don't we? Is Mary special? Is she kind of like superhuman? The answer is no and yes. No, because as we start the journey, we don't go to the Vatican, right? We don't go to a papal palace packed full of treasures. We don't go to a shrine full of pilgrims praying to Mary. No, we go to Nazareth, a nobody town, a truck stop town. You ever, you ever been one of those towns, you know, say you're driving from Sydney to Melbourne, it's a long haul, and, and you pull into this town and you're really after petrol, a toilet, some Coke and chips, right? And, and then you're on your way. <laughs> That's all you want. And as you leave, you kind of look around and you think, this place is a hole. I'm so glad I don't live here. A truck stop town. That's Nazareth. And when we meet Mary, we don't meet this kind of serene Mary with an angelic glow. No, we meet an unmarried, uneducated, teenage peasant girl. And from her, from her womb will come Jesus, the Savior of the world. So is Mary particularly special? No. Verse 47, she says, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. 
Mary is a sinner like you and me. Mary needs a saviour like you and me. So Mary's not special. And yet, Mary is a model of humble obedience. Look what happens, verse 28, 29. The angel said to her, Greetings, you are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these, his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. See, Mary, as she hears the words from the angel, doesn't kind of levitate and enter this kind of serene spiritual state and then just start pouring forth songs. No, she's what? Verse 29, troubled. And she wonders what kind of greeting that would be. And the word that's translated wondered there means to furiously ponder, to, to want to argue through, to tease out, to chase down. Mary is a lot like you and me, isn't she? I mean, think about it. You're having lunch uh, later today and then there's a bright, bright light and an angel comes into your dining room and an angel says, Greetings! You are highly favoured. You're going to be a little unsettled by that, right? Thinking, what on earth does this mean? What's going to happen? It's exactly what's going on for Mary. And then the angel tells her that she will give birth to the Son of God. And in response, she says, verse 34, How will this be, since I am a virgin? She's still unsettled. She's still trying to work it out. How will this work? I mean, I'm not pregnant. I'm a virgin. And as far as I know, angels don't give babies. So how is this going to play out? The angel says, God will give you the baby. And you know, Elizabeth, your relative is pregnant. And that girl is really old. So there's nothing impossible with God. See, friends, we often have doubts and struggles and questions in life, don't we? And that's totally fine. God is fine with that. He is big enough to cope with that. It's what we do with those questions and those doubts that matters, right? We can be arrogant and cynical. We can say, well, God, you've got to prove it to me. You've got to satisfy me, answer my questions. Or we can be like Mary, humble and obedient. Lord, I, I don't know how this works out, but I know God is good. So, Lord, will you help me to understand? And Mary's response at the end is, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, we mustn't be flippant about that response, like turn it into a coffee cup verse, like it was easy for Mary. Because she probably had plans for her life, right? Like you and I do. Maybe it was something like, meet a nice guy who runs his own business, settle down, raise a family, and grow grey watching the grandkids grow up. Something like that. A, a good plan for life. And then an angel turns up and says, no, no, that's all changed. God has a different plan for your life. And she says, may it be as the Lord says, I am his servant. And Mary would have known what a terrible position she was in. Unmarried and pregnant in that world would have opened her up to all sorts of scorn and shame and ridicule you can imagine people talking can't you <laughs> she says that God gave her the baby but come on that's a little bit miraculous convenient I think she's been sleeping around the law of Moses said that she could be cast out of the community even stoned to death and even Joseph who was a good and godly man we learn from Matthew's gospel was planning to break off the engagement because of the shame until an angel told him the real story so you can imagine can't you put yourself in her shoes the, 
the doubts, the anxiety that would have risen up in her. How am I going to tell Joseph? What if he abandons me? What if I'm kicked out of Nazareth? What? Raising the Son of God on my own, that's a lot of pressure. And yet Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Humble obedience. But do you notice something here? Mary's not singing yet, is she? There's no, my soul glorifies the Lord yet. I think she's still wrestling with this, still trying to put the pieces together. And the fascinating thing is what she does next. Did you notice? Verse 39. At that time, around the same time that she got the news from the angel, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. She doesn't stew on the news on her own, ponder on her own. Now, the angel had mentioned Elizabeth, so she goes to Elizabeth. She travels the 130 kilometers from Nazareth to the hill country of Judea, where Elizabeth and Zechariah lived. And it's there as she talks with Elizabeth, that God provides that final confirmation, that final reassurance. Verse 44, Elizabeth says, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now she will sing to the Lord. Isn't it interesting the way God puts them together so that they can rejoice together? Like God doesn't leave them separate, rejoicing separately, working it out separately, but God puts them together so that they can rejoice together. Now, I know this is not the main point of the sermon, but it did strike me as, as another reminder of the way that God has made us for community and relationships. Our joy is enlarged when we celebrate together. Our burdens are lighter when they are shared together. Our prayers are richer when we pray together. So here's my plea. Be in community here at Norwest. Not tick a box, I've joined a community group, so therefore I'm in community, because sometimes people join a community group, but they don't really hook in there. No, no, be in community. Do life together. Open up your life. Share with others. Because our joy is enlarged, our burdens are lighter, and our prayers are richer when we share them together. And that's what Mary did. Humble obedience in community with Elizabeth. And now she sings. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, spirit and soul there aren't talking about some sort of touchy-feely, wishy-washy, emotional, irrational thing. That's the way that the Bible talks about the deeper you, that the real you, you know when you peel back all the layers and the barriers that we learn to put up in life and, and you really get down to the heart of you, the real you? That's what Mary's talking about here. God's speaking to that part of you. And so yes, joy can include emotion. There will be times in life when you want to clap, you want to raise your hands, you want to dance and sing and laugh and jump around and be so excited and happy Joy isn't just emotion. Joy is deeper and longer lasting than just emotion. Real 
lasting joy comes when God speaks deep within you of his grace and mercy. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. But why? What has God revealed deep within her that she wants to rejoice like that? Verse 48, For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Well, what's so special about that? Is it just about getting a baby? No. Look at what happens in verses 50 down to 55. There's really nothing about Mary there. It's all about God. Have a look. Verse 50, Mary says, God is merciful again and again. It extends from generation to generation. Verse 51, he is mighty and does mighty things. Verse 51, 52, 53, he he brings down the proud and the arrogant and the cruel and he lifts up the humble and the needy. Verse 54, 55, God keeps his promises. Generation after generation, he keeps his promises. God is faithful. Quite an impressive song, isn't it? I don't know about if you've ever written a song. Like, I'm not sure how I'd go. But Mary, I don't think, just sort of stumbled on this. I don't think she kind of just made it up in the moment. Because as you meditate and consider carefully her song here, and if you've read a bit of the Old Testament, you'll notice there's so much of the Old Testament here, so many of the ideas and themes. And if you've got a Bible with cross-references, you'll notice that it keeps taking you back to the Old Testament, and in particular to the Psalms. It's not that Mary particularly quoted a psalm. She picked a couple of psalms and pieced some stuff together. But her words echo. They, they ooze. They bubble forth with the truths of Scripture. I think this is what happened for Mary. As she grew up going to the synagogue each week, and she heard the word of God read, the truths about God found fertile soil in her humble heart. And so when it came to that time in Luke chapter 1 for her to rejoice, well, she just bubbled forth. She oozed, she overflowed with the truths of Scripture that she knew. That God is mighty and merciful. That God has open arms to the humble. That God brings down the proud. That God keeps his promises. I don't know about you, but I find that an exciting challenge. That we would be like Mary that the Word of God would find fertile soil in humble hearts amongst us. That our blood would flow with Scripture. That our souls would rejoice with the truths about God. That our hearts would pump to the beat of God's grace and mercy. That's what drives Mary's joy. Those things that she knew, that she'd heard again and again, she now sees applied in her life. She's part of God's plan. It's like the difference between a mirror and a window. It's like the difference between looking for joy in the mirror, in yourself, or looking for joy through the window of God's goodness. Where do you seek joy? Is it in the mirror? looking at yourself and what you've achieved and what you've done? Or do you look for joy through the window of God's goodness? 
because so many of us fall into that trap, don't we, of looking for joy in the mirror, in ourselves, in what we can achieve, what we've done. And we have no real lasting joy. For some of you, it'll be that there's a part of your life where you just won't let Jesus in. You won't let him forgive you. You won't let him heal you. You won't let him transform you. You keep looking in the mirror for joy and you have no real lasting joy. For some of you, it's that you've toyed with becoming a Christian. You've kind of danced around it, circled around it. But because of pride or fear, you just won't let Jesus be number one. You keep looking in the mirror for joy and you have no lasting joy. And for some of you, it'll be that you drift in and out of churches, but you never really belong. You sort of sign up to a community group, but you never really go. You sort of get to know people, but you never do life here. And I reckon that's the most heartbreaking place to be. Because you see enough of Jesus to know that he is so good. But you keep looking in the mirror for joy. And you have no lasting joy. But when we stop that, we stop looking in the mirror, stop looking at ourselves for joy, stop keeping Jesus at arm's length, and we actually look out and through the window of God's goodness and His mercy and salvation for sinners, then we can have real joy. Because you know what we discover when you look out the window of God's goodness? You is amazing. You discover that you're not good, but you are deeply loved. You're not perfect, but you are forgiven. And this isn't a random, fickle, passing thing. No, we're talking about the love of God here. A love that burns with such purity and power that it, He has pursued us throughout history and sent His Son to rescue us discover that God has a never stopping never giving up always and forever love for you when you discover that then you will say with Mary whatever the Lord has planned for me is good I am his servant then you'll sing with Mary my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to confess that often we come to parts of the Bible like this that are so magnificent and powerful and intriguing. And we do fall into that trap of thinking Mary is special and different from us. And yet we've seen today that she is just like us. And yet in humble obedience, she went on that journey of joy and trusting her life to you. So we ask that you would be merciful and kind to each of us in our fickleness, in our weakness, in our pride, in our fear. That we would be able to be like Mary, humble and obedient before you, singing that our souls glorify you and our spirits rejoice in you, our Saviour. We pray in Jesus' name.